You're listening to the AFL Unlimited podcast, where we tackle all the hot topics in the AFL and bring you up to speed with everything you need to know in the football landscape. We'll take a look at this weekend's games and have some mixed discussion about what to expect. Let's head up to the box for the opening bounce. We're at the halfway point of season 2020 and the fog is clearing on how the year will take shape. West Coast stake their claim as the competition's best in a belter game against the Cats. The Pies find themselves in hot water on and off the field again and Carlton find themselves wanting as the trend of giving up consecutive scores continues to haunt them. We'll talk about that and a lot more in this ep of AFL Unlimited. How are we going, boys? Yeah, good good to not be here. (laughs) (laughs) We're back to the old uh, Zoom sessions. So for everyone listening, forgive us if there is any audio issues or anything like that. It's obviously has difficulties to record remotely, but we're here and we're ready to talk about another big week in footy. So what do we got? It's pretty exciting, boys. (laughs) So the first cab off the rank here, um, reminiscent of, uh, of an incident from a few years ago, we've got Jake Carlisle targeting Rampy's uh, injured hand in a game. What do we think of that, guys? Bit of interest around that one. Yeah, I thought it sucked. I hated the look of it. Um, yeah, it was an awful look, I thought. And he's, he just keeps doing these sorts of things. I, I don't know if you watched the game, but he... Even threw the ball away from an umpire, which was just bizarre activity after he wasn't paid a mark. Um, got a bit of a rap sheet of being a flog, and that probably just adds to it. So, <laughs> but no, it's, it's not a good look, is it? I don't think we want that. And he, he really went after it like multiple times. It was it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, he's got some, uh, I think, yeah, a few issues to address there. Definitely some um, anger <laughs> dramas there. I mean, it took me back to um, Stephen Baker and Steve Johnson. Mm. We're going back 10 years ago now, so it's been a long time since we've seen that sort of activity. I think Baker got about four weeks or something like that, or maybe even six because he's... Yeah, he got six. Yes, yeah. yeah, mm. so um, that was a long time out. Carlisle, I believe, only got the $500 fine. Can't I think, believe I think it was only $500. That's so, that. so lenient considering, like Shorty mentioned, he was had three or four deliberate jabs at... Rampy's hand and you know it's an injured player and there is the argument that you know Rampy deliberately took the field with an injury and I guess you're fair game but we don't want to be you know deliberately attacking injured players how how low do you have to go really you you do hear that people say oh you took the field but I think there's an expected level of contact that you're going to get in a game you Mm. shouldn't be going around oh of course someone's going to be punching you in the hand don't expect to be sniped off the ball (laughs) You know, it's reminiscent of, as we said, Stevie Baker and Stevie J, as well as um, Chris Scott on Nick, Nick Rewalt. Paul St. Kilda being involved in all of these incidents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to head off the field and getting his shoulder absolutely rammed into by Scotty. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a good look for, for players or for the game in terms very, of that. Yeah, and very poor look. You look at no, like, Weak punishments for doing things that you're not supposed to be doing on the field. How about uh, punishments for doing your job? Uh, Mitch Cleary, the reporter, who uh, got in a bit of strife for, for posting an Instagram shot. I think we all up to speed with that story of Trent Cotchin's partner, obviously went out and about and broke the COVID rules and and uh, Mitch decided to, to post it well after many other reporters had already done the same thing. But um, he got... Um, Stood down. He's now been let back. But what did you think of the initial situation, guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm 
Did I miss something? I mean, like you said, is he just doing his job, really? I mean, I was on the radio all day today, and, yeah, I was so surprised to hear it because she was the one in the wrong. She posted it to the whole world, and as you said, Chook, it wasn't like Mitch was first on the scene or anything. A, a number of different medias have done that. Uh, I presume that the main thing was that the AFL kicked up a bit of a storm and and it's that sort of grey line between being a journo and working for the AFL. Are you sort of a spokesperson for the AFL or, or are you a hard-hitting breaking news journalist? You know, where does that line sort of blur? And, and obviously he probably thought he was doing his job and breaking some news and, and telling the world some stuff that they may not otherwise see. And the AFL didn't like it. So, but I didn't realise he was back in town, as you mentioned. So that's good. Yeah, he was back on hosting the show again today. I think part of what is being said as to why he maybe have been stood down was that there had been a memo or a decision by the editorial mm-hmm. team that they were not going to be using the names of who it were. So it was already a decision that had been passed down to everyone. And I get if you break break a rule that has been told not to do and you do it, then there should be punishments for it. But at yeah, the same time... Pretty harsh punishment. I mean, my question would be... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, when, yeah, a lot of tricky situations, I think. Yeah, I, I'd have to get a bit more up to speed on the actual story. But I think, yeah, getting sacked pretty quickly is probably not the, the best way sort of going forward. There probably should have been a bit more investigation behind it and ironing over the kinks of all the rules and what you can sort of post, what you can't post um, out to the world, as Short and you guys have alluded to. Um, yeah, probably just doing his job. Has he gone a step too far? Should people be um, publicised with who's actually in the wrong? Um, that's probably, yeah, I don't know if names need to be named, but it's it's, uh, it's privacy all over the place, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, yeah, it's open slow at the moment. And you saw a hell of a lot of the backlash from a lot of the other people in the media who seem to be all happy to, you know, to, to look after each other and make sure they step up. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder how many media people are going about the players' code and the footy code and how they're always trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. look after each other. Yet here we go, they're all doing the same thing, getting around each other. Yeah, around so far with Kane Corns. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and now it's I'm just back. Kane throwing to himself. It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, where are you? Oh, you're back. Cool. Yeah, hi, Mitch. Mitch, have Would we you got you? Mitch, Mitch, have we got you? <laughs> yeah, there was, it's sort of um, resolved now as we talk about it. But yeah, it's it was really good to see public outcry. Um, everyone seemed to have the same opinion that Mitch is a really good bloke, a really good journo. Mitch himself on the AFL Exchange podcast, you know, in his own words, said there was no malice in naming uh, Brooke Cochin as you know the person who left the hub and I don't think there was. It was just, you know, a fact and screenshotting that Instagram post and adding it to his story he mentioned was just, you know, adding a layer of detail to the whole conversation. So I think everything's right now in the world, at least for Mitch with the AFL. There's a bit of questions about their integrity, about what exactly they're doing because there's been some things that's popped up in history about, you know, maybe desensitizing bad news or sort not covering things up, but maybe just not reporting on things that, you know, other places certainly do. So good to see that Mitch is back and I think it's it's over with now. But yeah, the AFL, uh, the shares, if you're buying shares in AFL, you'd absolutely be selling them right now because they're crashing. Yeah, it was a bit rich, I thought. I, mean, I think so. you might have sold it when COVID hit, but... <laughs> 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 probably, 
bit optimistic you were, I reckon, if you held on to him this long. <laughs> Don't you reckon it was a bit rich, like, to do the wrong thing, post it to the public on your socials, and then all of a sudden it's a sackable thing to, to put it out to the public? I understand that they didn't want it out there, and in that memo it was put out to be private. But, yeah, I think it's a bit rough for Mitch to cop the absolute full force when... She was so badly in the wrong, and, yeah, and not that it, not that it was her fault, but she did contact uh, the AFL and say, "Look, yeah. I've got no no idea who this Mitch Cleary Cleary bloke is, but I don't think he should be." Well, I don't think she'd even <laughs> know who half those half those <laughs> AFL nerds would be anyway. But for credit, she uh, she did stick up for him there. So yeah, they were nice words, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. I guess that puts us on to more people doing the wrong thing again. Uh, and this time it's a bit bigger than a, a wag. It's the coach, Collingwood Football Club, guys. Yeah. He was obviously out and about. When he shouldn't give you guys up to speed with this story? They'd never do something yeah. bad, Collingwood, would they? <laughs> Only when Eddie says they've done nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and people were lighting him up on Twitter like, Eddie said, oh, anyone who breaches the COVID rules, buddy, kick him out and send him back to Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> next day, Buckley's, you couldn't make it up. Like, Buckley's playing tennis with a tennis, like a famous tennis player who doesn't live or she's not in the bubble. And him yeah. and Brenton Sanderson are playing two-on-one. That's unfair advantage first. <laughs> But that's breaking a lot of rules there. Eh? The tennis rules, like yes. the yeah. rules. Uh, it's very important. I don't know how they, they weren't across it and weren't aware of it. Whether they just had a brain fade or, or not, are they getting enough sleep to make these educated decisions? You know, it's all, all these little finer details and logistics. Um, you know yeah, pretty, pretty poor from the guys there. I think they should have been, yeah, a lot more switched on. And um, I suppose they'll uh, deal with the monetary confinements as they come. Confinements. Yeah. Well, I've heard that they just, they accidentally just walked out the wrong door and, and got locked out. And yeah, thank God they hadn't taken off half their clothes yet because it would have been a bit more serious situation. They walked out the wrong doors. Well, I thought it was actually umpiring that game as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, no top on. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> well, yeah. That, look, it's it's crazy. Again, it brings back the uh, the idea that you know Maguire shouldn't be in the media and he just keeps putting his foot in his mouth and pretty much every time he's commented this year, it, it's backfired on him and, and made the club look bad. So just as a quick... You know, vote maybe from all of you. Should Maguire either step down from his Collingwood commitments or step down from his media commitments? No, nah, I don't think I don't think that's something that you could probably ask of him when you have so many other people who are high public figures that do that role as well. You think of Koshi in his role, and he's and, in the um, same boat. <laughs> James Bra- James Brayshaw, who obviously used to be president at North, I think. What, when does it become, or oh, this person's in the media? Because I think in some lights, being the president puts you in that position already. Um, I think it's just down to your own, your own interest as to, to making the right decisions rather than forcing someone off of... I don't think there's really a conflict of interest in him being involved in the media personally and having that role if he wears two hats. Yeah, I think he's entitled to do both. I think he's just probably got to be a little bit more mindful of how he goes about it. Like you outlined, Chuka, there's been a few examples and Dunstall's another one over the journey. And I think it's probably the fact that Eddie's just a bit more outspoken and just tends to keep going going. But I think the fact is that if you're going to wear two hats, 
then you've got to be a little bit careful about how you go about it because you are trying to wear two hats and sometimes you can dip your foot in it. So I think we've seen other presidents probably just be a little less outspoken, but Eddie has managed to find himself quite recently in a number of, uh, when you cross him over with TV, radio, presidency, AFL boards, all sort of stuff. So And commentary. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of hats, a lot of hats, Ed. Um, I think at yeah, the moment you're sort of both, you, you do have an immediate conflict of interest, but obviously it's how you voice it and the way in which you go about it and construct yourself as to how much that can sort of um, impact your credibility for not only yourself but your footy club at large. Um, that's obviously a big one. So, yeah, I think, Shorty, you hit the nail on the head there. We've just You can have an opinion and that's all fine, but you, you probably don't want to have any um, outlandish thoughts that could potentially put your club in to disrepute as well. Um, and then, yeah, adhering to those standards that he's supposedly set. And um, then the club, ironically, being at the mercy of the decisions made by uh, some individuals. And we'll get back on to... What was that, Daniel? Sorry? What are your thoughts, Lane? Uh, for me, I, I think he, he does probably have one too many hats on. I think one of those positions probably needs to to go and I, I think if anything it's probably it's probably the position he's been at for a while which is the the triple m uh position on the radio yeah. i know that's his show but i think he's done a good job as a president and i think he comments on the radio show a lot and that's normally where a large amount of the the hate on eddie comes from and we go back to you know the adam goods comments that he made about king kong on the radio show and Every you know, every Monday morning after a round of footy, he's there with a the voice. He's got the power. He, he's in his suit. And he feels the strength in his voice on the radio, and he just gets a bit hot under the collar and says something crazy. So I think that's probably the one that needs to go. Um, but you know, that's just an opinion. But we'll get back onto um, Collingwood a bit later on because they they weren't fantastic off and on the field this week. And yeah, you know, we're stretching mm. back to Monday of last week talking about Geelong briefly. But tis, let's get stuck into some of the games. Yeah, ladies and gents, there's a lot of games to um, obviously get through. It's going to be really flexible and agile as the AFL <laughs> team. But um, I'm going to quickly brush on Jolene Freeman, who played on the Monday uh, last week. So it was the Cats getting home by 32 points in that one. It was a pretty difficult game to watch. It was a slugfest. It was it was wet. It was rainy. It was all sorts of things. So um, Geelong, if they played their absolute best, probably could have won by 12 goals, but conditions obviously made it pretty difficult. Um, in hindsight, though, with the recent result against the Pies, that's a pretty good win, um, mm. all considering. I was expecting that against the Cats, but uh, we were able to set up really well behind the ball, taking good intercept marks early, and found it. And the Dockers found it difficult getting a D50, and um, they moved their numbers sort of all the way up the ground, and then they had no one to go up top forward, so it was kind of funny watching on. Geelong, 20 more inside 50s, 30 more contested possessions, and Guthrie was really good with dirty tagging Walters. Duncan's game was really good with 26 and a goal, many goals were sold. And Taylor with it, wound back the clock also. Brayshaw and Sarong were good for the Dockers boys. Uh, feel free to have, if you have any brief thoughts on this one, and uh, a good win for the Cats at the time. It's a long time ago, isn't it? It's a long time ago. But, uh, no, it was uh, a shocking game to watch, that's for sure. And it was uh, four and rain for basically the whole game. But uh, like you said, it was good to just get the win. And it, you know, we feel like we're in, you know, an alternate universe now that these games are so long ago and we're talking about it. And, you know, even tonight we've got the Port Adelaide and Bulldogs game, you know, just coming up as we're recording towards the end. But 
Um, the footy festival so far has had some good and some bad games. This one wasn't too bad, I thought, considering the conditions. It was absolutely a slog fest, as you mentioned, Tyson. It was it was absolutely pissing down. And I thought Geelong played pretty well and Fremantle just had those really young players that weren't really adjusting to it. And some of their older players in Conquer and, and Materia just didn't have an effect at all. Um, and if you pair that with how uh, Geelong did this week, I think, you know, it's, it was pretty good. And, and you know, we'll talk about Frio later. But, you know, Frio would have those younger players and the younger legs, as I mentioned, and to, to come out and win against Collingwood an amazing effort considering how um, physically demanding this game would have been. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We, we move on to, you know, this game was the Wednesday night. So we had Western Bulldogs and Richmond and it was Richmond getting the job done by 41 points, Drew. Yeah. I had there. They've been copping some hate and a few players in particular, the two talls, Rewalt, and Lynch, as well as Dusty himself, has actually copped a few um, a few statements saying he's not up to scratch. But, boy, didn't Dusty put on a show of some superb goals. And the two tolls, obviously, played, they just looked a little bit better back in form. Maybe not the superstar they used to be, but they still looked pretty impressive, I thought. Nice one, sure. Yeah, Rich took four spot on the ladder with the trouncing over the dogs. That potentially could have changed uh, between now and then. It probably will change as games are playing. Uh, 20 point lead at quarter time set them up. Uh, they've been a bit hot and cold this year, the Dogs. Uh, their best matches uh, up there with some of the best in the comp. But uh, when they're down, they uh, they look pretty ordinary. So, um, Richmond bullied the Dogs in the middle of the ground and were resolute down back. They had that frenetic ball movement going as they tend to do, uh, which is really valuable for them getting the win. Plenty of pressure from the Tigers led to the Dogs' uh, turnovers and they made them pay. Stats were pretty even in this game, interestingly, though. Uh, Richmond were much more efficient with the ball and um, outmarked the Dogs uh, 30 marks. So they were able to control the ball, obviously, a lot better. And for the Dogs, McRae accumulated a COVID record. This <laughs> 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 isn't referencing Melbourne and Victorian uh, COVID records, but uh, disposal count of 37, which was quite impressive. Um, Dusty was best on ground with 26 touches, three goals, and one beauty from the pocket once again. Bolter was superb down back. Some have called him Alex Rance. Wow. Wow. Was that oh, you? No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make a comparison now. I really do. But, um, yeah, the dogs, are, as you said, they're so hot and cold. I mean, I, I'm i a fan of them, but then they put in performances like that that make you really question them. I think Richmond are just they're so good system-based, aren't they? Young players in, a lot of experience out, but they they keep producing pretty solid performances, and we'll get to it. But they've got a really crucial period coming up, so that was a good win, very good win. Any thoughts there, Mike? No, I was I was um, pretty disappointed with Bulldogs as well, and think that Richmond is another team, you know, getting some senior players back and. I can't really judge too much on what the Bulldogs do until I probably have seen what they do tonight. Because they, you know, if they come out and beat Port, then we're, you know, they're right back to where they were. But if they lose terribly, then they've pretty much thrown their season away. So they really need to start beating some some quality teams properly and stop this mucking around. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, with Dusty as well, mentioned his performance. He looks back in form again, and hopefully he can keep it up. But just one thing that that egged me a little bit. Was, Bruce McAvaney saying <laughs> he's back in Brownlow contention 
given given Lockie Neal a bit of a head start. A bit of a head start. Three votes for every win, and Dusty's probably gotten that's probably his first three voter. I'd say he's exactly. gotten all year. They love to just get around him. One good game, one <laughs> best on, and all of a sudden he's back in contention. Neil's about twelve votes clear of him right now. Come on, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> I think Neil's got him by the uh, length of the straight there yeah. for the next time, but um, <laughs> it should be. Good there. Um, Melbourne, Port Adelaide, and this is Power getting the job done by 51 points. Big win. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's you, Chuck. Three words for this one. Uh, staying in place. Port Adelaide, after a bit of a hiccup, have um, shown themselves to still be at the top there. Um, and Melbourne... Kind of after a bit of a, a rise for a second, it kind of shown themselves to kind of still be a bit of a bottom ranked side at the moment. Just disappointing for them. Disappointing is the word I've got here, Chuck. As um, <laughs> my voice starts, <laughs> super disappointing display from the D's um, with the promise that built up over the last few weeks. Port um, put Melbourne to the sword, and um, their ball use was far superior than the D's ball use. Uh, the ball movement from half back was really impressive as well. Um, and basically, that means the D's aren't applying great pressure up forward. They Port Adelaide out possessed, now tackled the, the Demons, which highlights work rate. Um, yeah, a lot more work rate coming from the Port Adelaide power. Georgiatis uh, was impressive with three goals next to his name, and uh, the D's defence didn't do too well on that front, but that's another point. Uh, Rockcliffe was very good with 21 disposals and tentacles. You got the tentacles. <laughs> Both very good again, 25 and a goal, eight, eight clearances. Gorn and Petrarca were handy for the Ds. Yeah, I think the Demons just... We get sucked in a bit, don't we? I mean, they were super impressive against the Hawks, wasn't it? And then a reasonable display against Brisbane, who most people rate. But, yeah, they, they've got to prove it consistently, don't they? I mean, they're, they're a bit showy at times. Their best is great, and they've got these stars through the midfield, great ruckman at times. But then that was a disgraceful performance. Just ask their president, I think it was, who slammed them. But uh, they, a bit like the dogs, are incredibly tough to get a read on. Yeah, it was it was really disappointing um, from Melbourne. I, I I tipped them to win. I actually changed my tip for Melbourne to win. I thought they'd they'd found their brand against Brisbane, and they didn't uh, they didn't win against Brisbane. But I thought they'd really found their where they should have been at this year, and I, I really thought they were coming. And then they the leader of the Port Adelaide bandwagon. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I, look, day. I know, I know, yeah. but you know the way that Melbourne were playing in stages. In the last quarter, especially against Brisbane, I thought yeah. that they were—I um, thought they were really going to, you know, make a late run in this season. And I've said it all year: it's, it's going to take something crazy for the team to win the premiership this year. And you know, Demons could have done it, but I think now they've thrown away that chance, and really disappointing. Yeah, that's the key word, gents. Uh, moving on to the next game, though, we've got uh, Carlton Hawthorne and Clarko uh, pulled out a rabbit out of the hat with the Hawks winning by thirty-one points. Drew. Yeah, 62-point plummet. You said 31 for the Hawks was the game-winning. 31 is also how much Carlton were up over yeah, the Hawks. Bizarre. Suddenly just letting it loose. I don't know what happened there, but Tiz, can you try and give us some sense of what happened? Let's run through it. Carlton started the game like a house on fire, kicking the first five goals of the game. 
from there, Hawthorne kicked 14 of the next 19 goals in an impressive performance. Unbelievably, though, the Hawks hit four and five, considering the results have eventuated. They've obviously um, had some pretty poor losses, but it feels like they've lost two games in, the, in one game. So they're getting back into it, though. Uh, they bullied the Blues after quarter time uh, with great pressure on the ball carrier and stopping those easy marks that the Blues were getting. Inside the contest, uh, Hawthorne were far too strong and they were able to get their forwards really good looks. They had much more energy uh, about them and wore the Blues down as the game progressed. Hawthorne dominated Carlton on the inside 50s, plus 50, 50 in contested possessions. So, um, that's, sorry, that's on the outside. So, I'll go uncontested possessions. My bad there. Carlton had 12 extra clearances, all considering, so they didn't make the most of their ball used there out of the stoppage. Mitchell, Thomas Mitchell was back to some better. Thomas Mitchell. Tobias Mitchell. <laughs> 28 disposals, five clearances. And Gunson played a really good game around the ground, up forward, three goals, seven marks. And for the Blues, Cripp stride hard, um, ended up getting 27, eight clearances. Some would say he tried too hard at times. Maybe tried to just do a little bit too much on a couple of occasions. But, yeah, the Blues have got a real issue, don't they? They have had a number of massive uh, run-ons, whether it just be goals or scoring shots at the start of games or the end of games. So, Teague and the boys would want to arrest that. But the Hawks, yeah... It sort of surprises me that they sit four and five, but they are travelling okay on a ladder perspective for now. Yeah, a few times this year, well, in, in seven out of nine of their games, they've conceded at least four scoring shots in a row, and a few of them have been four, five goals in a row. They conceded the last five scoring shots against Port. Obviously, Robbie Gray kicked the goal after the siren there. So that would be a massive concern for Carlton, for Teague, for the Carlton fans. Every time Carlton are in front now, now that it's out in the public arena, it's a thing. Like, Carlton will have that in the back of their minds now. Every time they're leading in a game, we mentioned it last week, Shorty, you went there. Um, Every time Carlton lead, (laughs) because they're quite a young and inexperienced team, they just don't know what to do when they're in front. And, yeah, teams will know that if they're losing to Carlton and they'll come back. And that will come. I mean, that will come. But at the moment, it is a major concern. But I think, as you say, they're young and inexperienced and it's part of the learning curve. But spot on. Teams, if they get four or five goals down, some sides you might just go, gee, there's no way they're letting us back here. Where against the Blues, you'll be like, we are definitely a chance if we just hang in there and get one and one turns into two and then three. So a bit of a concern there for the Blues. Work to do for both sides to um, progress up the ladder. Moving on to Essendon and Brisbane. Uh, speaking of a side that needs to do work, it's not Brisbane. Um, it's definitely Essendon because Brisbane won by 63 points. Yeah, three votes, Neil. That's all I can say for that. He's he's done it again. It's crazy. What a, what a star. Brisbane uh, also kicked five goals to start the match and were very impressive. Returning serve to West Coast. Dominant, dynamic performance last week. Uh, the Lions now take their tally to 7-2. and two. Their pressure was phenomenal and were brilliant um, collecting the ground ball. Every time when in, inside us in this 50, they just could not pick up the ball. It was unbelievable. Um, they had control in the midfield and their forward line looked incredibly dangerous and delivered some big-time results, um, scoring their highest score of the season, the Lions. Uh, the Bombers simply yeah, could not get control of the ball uh, Brisbane took 99 marks to 41, which is unbelievable. Mm. Uh, and their ball movement inside 50 was terrible and predictable uh, from a bomber's standpoint. And no real sort of targets to go for. 
but it was long high bombs um, and Brisbane's defence lapped that up. As you said, Shock uh, Neil was outstanding, uh, 33 disposals, two goals, was really good. Charles Cameron was on the motorbike early and gave it four revs throughout the evening, so he was fantastic. And McGrath for the Bombers um, provided really good effort, 25 possessions, um, six clearances. And Neil's in the super coach, but I'm starting to get a bit flat, but he just keeps going because he's going to make Brownlow medal night quite dull at this rate. He's, he's getting into sort of a Tom Mitchell, Dangerfield, sort of short areas on the Brownlow odds. He just looks a red-hot favourite, but yeah, they smashed him. It's uh, as good as Brisbane were. I think the Bombers would be equally disappointed. That's an example of where they would have wanted to contend against a, a good side, and they failed. Yeah, very fair. I agree with that. I didn't actually uh, get a chance to catch much of the game, but um, what I what I did get a get a look at was Essendon not seeing as as quality and and good as they they appeared to be, um, and and Brisbane just still smooth, still silky as uh, as we've come to expect this whole season. Yeah, uh, Brisbane certainly had the control over the, the whole game and Essendon just look at seeing now. They've had a few injuries as of late and to uh, key players as well. It was really good to see Sam Draper finally debut, who's a highly um, touted prospect for Essendon. He was offered a 1.7 mil contract before he'd even play, played a game at Essendon, did his knee and now he's back for his first game. So he looked the goods and... Um, hopefully just gives them that extra forward target that uh, Danaher hasn't been able to give them the last few years. But, yeah, uh, Charlie Cameron's been fantastic. Lockie Neal's been really good too. Um, Hoping Essendon can come back to the form they did have at the start of the season because it does make for just a better season all around if you've got your Essendon's Norths and these sort of middle middle teams actually playing well instead of getting smashed every week. So... Uh, Before we talk about North, we'll get into a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the North Melbourne and Adelaide game. North Melbourne have Adelaide and it was North Melbourne. Big win, 69 points. Yeah, it was a big one, wasn't it? Statement versus stationary. I say statement because North made the big call of dropping Ben Brown and Polak. So two of obviously their star players, probably two of their most paid players at the club. Um, And while it it worked. They went out and destroyed a traffic cone Adelaide team. What did we think it is? Pretty good description of it, Chuck. Uh, battle between 17th and 18th, and uh, this game wasn't even a contest. Uh, North smacked the Crows with a 10-goal second half. Uh, Adelaide laid next to no pressure, and the Kangaroos were just able to walk it out of Adelaide's back line, deliver the ball inside 50 with ease. Adelaide couldn't even touch the ball half the time. Um, North got 100 more disposals than they did, which is astounding in um, less time and, um, I suppose, COVID-restricted game time. And it was one-way traffic in the midfield as well. North uh, being up plus 15 clearances, which is um, a debacle for the Crows. Plenty of winners uh, for North. Anderson had 28 and a goal. Uh, McDonald racked up 35 in the midfield. I would say that would be a career high for him. <laughs> Goldstein, um, another impressive game with that eight clearances. And um, I'm interested, boys, about uh, Goldie's possible All-Australian discussion. Should he be up there in the, with uh, Gorn and uh, Nick, Nat and Grundy? That's a really interesting one. I was thinking about today. A lot of talk about the ruck department. I'd love to hear... Just, you know, who, who each of you would have as the number one ruck 
you know, if we were doing all Australian right now, I'd still have Gorn for what it's worth. But gee, there's a lot of options at the minute, isn't there? Yeah, I'm fair to say Goldstein would be back up there again. But I think Max Gorn is having a quite a dominant year at the moment. Um, I think if either teams can start showing a bit more success, it might leave uh, one of them looking more of the clear shot favourite. Statistically, Goldie is leading clearances in the AFL and statistically is the highest ranked player in the AFL. So I think Gorn and Grundy are your, your ruck on on field and Goldstein on the bench probably. I just don't think he's get got the plaudits. Can I have three Ruckman, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> I, only said, I only said two, didn't I? Sorry, I, on the I meant, um, I meant, um, so Gorn is your all Australian ruckman and Goldstein uh-huh. is on the bench. I don't think okay. Grundy has had as good a year as either of them, mainly because we mentioned last week Grundy's tap outs aren't being utilized as well. Um, and I don't think Nick Nate is in the, in the conversation. He has been very influential, but I don't think he's in the conversation right now. So Gorn and then Goldstein for me. Um, really good to see Magic Door come back and not only you know get back to playing because like if we're if we're going to be serious about it for for a second he sh- should probably not be with us anymore after that incident from a couple of years ago he had to learn how to walk again and the fact he even got back to, to play an AFL game is amazing and the smile on his face after that game almost brought me to tears it was really good to see. Um, them get around him when he kicked a goal and you know he had his fist raised when he was walking the team off and the smile on his face was amazing and uh, really good to see that he was back Yeah, it was inspirational wasn't it? I think currently there's not a stack of joy going on in the world and particularly you know in Victoria and uh, for any North Melbourne fans and footy fans in general that was yeah, fantastic because the story behind it is, is pretty dark and he's, he's come from a a really hard, well, probably a number of years he's been struggling. And, and as you said, Lang, it's, realistically, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. But to come back and just live a good life, let alone play at the top level and and, and play at a reasonable game is great. And I, don't know, I thought Doomy's words before the game yeah, was really good. super emotional. And you rarely get to see that deeper sort of insight into a into any commentator, let alone Doomy, who's a larrikin a lot of the time. But uh, no, it was a great moment. One of the biggest football stories of the year. And, um, yeah, no, congratulations to Medic for getting through that game really well and just making an amazing comeback, like, not only from an AFL standpoint, but just on a personal level. So, congrats there. North did really well. Um, yeah, sort of welcoming him back and um, making him feel, yeah, at home once again. So, we move on to uh, St Kilda and Sydney. And this game was quite interesting. But the Saints, uh, they got out to a 53-point win in the end. Yeah, um, for that one, I have to say, young talls rising. We mentioned last week, short, um, just for your information, <laughs> last week we mentioned about the fact that there's a bit of middle ground in the age demographic for, for talls missing and it's giving younger guys more of a, a rise. And you, you can just see that with McCartan and King um, on that night, both kicked three goals each and, and, and it's they're looking a bit bit more fierce for their clubs, even though... Um, Sydney's not doing the best at the moment. I think Paddy, uh, sorry, Paddy, <laughs> Tom McCartan oh my gosh. Uh, was a bit of a shining light for him um, with some of his um, talent. Yeah, nice one, Chuck. Uh, this was an enthralling contest, this game, uh, for three quarters. 
But uh, St Kilda did as they did against Port Adelaide, um, burst away from the Swans in the final term. They had control for most of the game, um, but they put Sydney to the sword late with a six-goal final term. Reminding me a bit of the 08 Cats, the, the Saints. Um, they haven't really put much of a foot wrong this year. Um, oh, they, they, could wow. up, they could arguably be 9-0. They were out with the six-goal leads to the Dockers and North. But um, like, well, I'll, um, I'll sum up the 08 stuff just at the end. But their toughness and speed around the ground was unmatchable and proved to be too strong in the end. And the Saints were able to get it uh, inside 50, 54 times, which gave their forward plenty of really good looks. Uh, Hind... Um, King and Butler combined for eight goals between them and they were promising. Steele was good as always, 23 touches next to his name, six tackles. Park and Lloyd battled hard for the Swans. But I wanted to, yeah, the 08's a very big call, but there's been a number of games here where they've had quality opposition, they've stuck around and then they've really gotten away from the opposition in the last quarter quite significantly, which is what the 08 Cats were very renowned for, gentlemen. We might compare them when they get a flag for their noses. Come on, mate. Jeez. Oh, no, nothing about flags, mate. Just the style of footy. The, yeah, the, the, the Cats and I did that and the Saints have done that a couple of times. They need to do a few more, but we'll see. They are, they are very impressive at the moment. And uh, they're the big movers, really, from um, the last year's sort of ladder. They've really jumped up nicely and uh, they're playing some pretty good footy. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how far they can take it. And then on the final stage, that'll be the real test whether they can win a final and because uh, at the moment they've made that next step to being a good home and away side. So, yeah, they're, they're travelling real nice. Cool. Yeah, no, that was my uh, that was my cue. Didn't really have much to add for that game, but um, King, Battle was good. Tom McCartan has has proved himself to be really good. I, I always mention to you guys, there was a goal that Tom McCartan kicked against Collingwood, I think where he was getting tackled and sort of kicked it as he was falling down. It never gets mentioned, but that was a fantastic goal and Sydney got the win in that game. And I've always thought he's been a really good uh, addition to Sydney's team and when they're up and about again, he'll be leading from the front. We move on though, lads, to uh, one of the... Oh, it was a big game. Uh, Geelong had West Coast and the Eagles squeezed one home, nine points. Yeah. So this line, I'm not sure thoughts of you guys might have, but Cats, new trio. We know the Cats always have the big names, the Danger, Ablett, Selwood trio, but I think Duncan, Guffrey, Menagola is the new trio that has taken over while the other guys have um, you know, pulled aside a little bit there. That's just my quick take there. <laughs> not, nice one, sure. Nearly uh, the best game of the year in 2020. Um, pure football. Uh, skills were on display. The crowd behind the home team delivered an absolute belter. The Cats started off the game in fine shape. They kicked seven straight in the first half. Um, first time since 1915 they've done that. Kicking uh, no behinds next to them, just FYI. Uh, Geelong did really well to possess the ball and uh, attack from half back. They took West Coast kick mark game away from them. Um, however, as the game wore on, the Eagles leaders stood up and delivered the knockout punch to the Cats. They started winning it at the cold face and their pressure went through the roof. Um, some individual brilliance and some fatal mistakes from the Cats ultimately decided um, the result. Geelong held West Coast under 60 marks and managed 95 uh, for themselves, which is quite good from, from Geelong's standpoint, but they couldn't control the game for long enough. Um, Duncan, Stewart, Tui and Dangerfield were really good for the Cats. However, West Coast, Nick Nat turned the game around. Shuey was dynamite. 
likewise with Kelly, Sheed and Yo. So all these big names when they're playing well, they're going to be pretty hard to beat. Not to mention uh, Josh Kennedy, who was relentless, kicking four, including an amazing goal from the stoppage. That was uh, next level. I think it was, I would have liked to have watched it in neutral. It hurt, it really hurt. It really hurt, but as Tyson said, it was one of the best games of the year. It would have been a classic to just sort of watch on and two really good sides going at it. It was close, it had most of the elements, but yeah, Nick Nat in the ruck was basically the difference I felt. He just gave his midfielders an absolute armchair ride and, and Geelong were, were gallant, but from a supporter point of view, we really needed to get the win and, and claim a big scalp. But you, know, you don't necessarily be cut for the performance, but you really wish we came away with the four points because we were oh so close. And I think it was just that lack of experience in the end. You know, you can imagine, you know, Parfit had, you know, our last chance that we really had to go forward. Parfit had the ball and West Coast were very well set up. And I think he just sort of handballed it forward and then it came back and Josh Kennedy took that mark and, and that was the game. But if imagine if that was in the hands of an Ablett or, you know, a Selwood and it might be a different um, option that they chose to take instead of panicking at that point. And it was really good to see a lot of the, the younger players and Chuck mentioned obviously Guthrie and Menegola and Duncan, these the sort of the next generation, the second wave of these leaders. And we've been talking about the second wave for like six years now at Geelong and I think they're I finally starting the to wave. come good. Yeah, sorry, it's probably not the right time to talk about that. But uh, um, yeah, really, really fantastic game and um, West Coast were just too good at home and their crowd is absolutely lit and gives them like an extra 10 like health points every time they play at Optus. So yeah. <laughs> they're just go absolutely nuts there. And Nick Nat was very, very influential and, and was really good. Mm, no, it's fun, mate. I think, yeah, we, we highlight some of those mistakes. So like Guthrie took an amazing mark. Oh my God, Gary, the senior-esque one-handed yeah. mark. It was beautiful, but then he didn't have the composure to understand if there was anyone around him and Blitzarf has a half-back and then he panics oh. and Kicks on his left foot and a grubber's straight back to West Coast. Never Space. use your left foot. Yeah. Any a banana along the barrier line. Do what you have yeah. to do, but don't go on the left. Um, yes, and there was countless times. Blitzarves let Kennedy um, take a mark very late. He let him run and jump at the ball, which is unblitz-like. Blitz shouldn't be on a wing. Um, or in the ruck. <laughs> as well. Or in the ruck. So you should be at full back, but understand that, yeah, we're at dire stages and have literally zero ruckmen. So, yeah, I think it sums up the cats a little bit. I mean... Yeah, we're, when the challenge really comes against absolute quality opposition, I'm not sure if we have the names to get over the line. We obviously had a bit of a younger team in tonight, but it has been a bit of a trend. It's very similar to the prelim final. Sorry, Blast, but um, yeah, it's very similar to that. So we'll, we better move on before we get PTSD from that prelim final. <laughs> um, we'll touch on this game, Gold Coast GWS. Uh wasn't the greatest game of all time going around, but uh, <laughs> the Giants they got the win with 26 points. Sure. Yeah. Um, the three thing, the thing that I thought was the the most notable <laughs> from it uh, might be the sequel to Doctor Zeus's uh, Green Eggs and Ham. It's uh, Green and Hamstring. He got absolutely. And it's probably the first time that um, the Giants have probably managed to be able to get up without Toby and the team. If, if I, I'm not too sure, but. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, garbage game. A couple of that, guys. Uh, GWS did what they had to do and brought home a chocolate, getting the win over the Suns. Um, similar signs, and this is probably uh, yeah, a point for Gold Coast. I wouldn't want to hear, but similar signs of previous seasons where they start off really well with the seasons. Uh, I believe they've only won one of their last five. 
and uh, the last couple of years, I think they've had three and uh, one, three and two kind of deal sort of going forward. Uh, as you mentioned, Chilkia, Toby Green, big injury with the hamstring, which is unfortunate. And we'll see how the Giants fare in the coming weeks without him, without their superstar forward. Uh, the Giants just got it done in the cold face and uh, good delivery to their forwards. Small season bodies just got the job done here. Uh, and inaccuracy killed Gold Coast and kicked themselves out of the game. I, I believe they kicked uh, four goals 11 or 5 11, something like that. So, yeah, not going to win too many games with that. Uh, the Giants, they had 70 more uncontested possessions, which highlighted their dominance on the outside as well. So, we talk about how they're one of the best midfields in the comp. Uh, you know, Whitfield, Hopper, Kelly, Taranto, Cornelio, uh, and the likes all got the job done in the engine room. They were really good. And I know uh, Short loves this guy, uh, Zach Williams, who was also very impressive, mm. 26, uh, critical player for the Giants. And I thought Williams back really let Whitfield off the chain as well, Short. Oh, they were running rampant, those two. The, uh, what do they call them? The Dash the Brothers. Dash Brothers. So good. Yeah. <laughs> How good is it? Well, I think yeah, it wasn't one for the history books, this one, I don't think. But I think the Suns need to be held a little bit more accountable. That was at Metricon, wasn't it? I think yeah. they've got to start to perform better when they should rather than starting years well and then just serving up trash afterwards. They need to be better and we need to mark them a bit harsher, I think. And just on that quickly before we head to the next game, uh, Green and Matt DeBoer with both hamstrings meant to miss three weeks as I scroll through my Facebook as we mm. talk. So let's get into For a sure. much better game, Tislet. And that three weeks could turn into a lot more with uh, these. Yeah, it's five games, so isn't it? <laughs> it could be could be catastrophic. Yeah. Fremantle will have Collingwood the final game of the round, which is a really good contest. Fremantle snuck home by at home by twelve points. There's probably a, a lot of things to mention in this, what was quite a high for Fremantle, but I just had to say, uh, to steal from Hutto, uh, so wrong, so right. He he was yeah. really a flying light, wasn't he? He was outstanding. Uh, upset in the West as the Pies lose their second game in a row. A few alarm bells sounding. Eddie McGuire listening out there to the AFL Limited podcast. <laughs> Fremantle applied pressure like no other, uh, which helps out a massive victory in the context of the season. Their pressure gauge was off the scales because they recorded a pressure um, numeric value of 231. So it literally was off the scales because the lead <laughs> is 220. So they were next level. Um, they played smart football, identifying that most of Collingwood's score occurs in the opening term. And they played a negative style, switched it over when required, which was really smart. Uh, they took risks and got it out, out the back a few times and exposed the Pies defence and isolated their debutant to Keane as well. Uh, they were keen to get into Tabata and he, he <laughs> delivered the goods, which I'll talk about at the moment. The Fremantle also uh, held their own in the middle, uh, defeating Collingwood in the clearances by 15. Smacked him in the contested ball as well by almost 40. Unbelievable numbers, uh, considering, as we know, how good Collingwood's midfield is. Uh, Tabana was the match winner, as I'm mentioning. He kicked four goals next to his name. He was really solid. Uh, Ryan down back, he was outstanding. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah. He was elite. He, 25 touches, seven marks. He was a brick wall. Nothing was getting past him. He was magnificent. Monday went back the clock for the Dockers as well. And, and uh, probably the easiest goal after Zorin has ever had to kick in his life. <laughs> he's well. kicked a few. <laughs> he's had a few shots after Zorin in his time, as we know. And um, Sarong, uh, very good call from Hutto and uh, highlighting a bad trick. Very impressive young player, 24 disposals, nine clearances, six tackles. He's only played a couple of games and he's getting best on ground, so that's good. Fife also chimed in with eight clearances. He, um, yeah, he worked really hard um, and it was good. Fremantle would like that he wasn't the best player for them. So 
For the pies, on the, a quick note there, Sidebottom did his best for Alex, but it wasn't enough to get the pies over the line. He got uh, 25 touches next to his name and two sausage rolls. What a fall from grace for the pies. I mean, it mm. wasn't too long ago that they were just the consistent side, the most bankable team, most people's uh, flag favourite, or certainly. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> on the hand up here. <laughs> I so too, but uh, they've just really dropped and all of a sudden find themselves you know, desperately searching for a win. But it is good to see the Dockers perform like that because they do have a stack of young talent and it did come through. So, yeah, really good performance and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic game. And like I mentioned before, it was amazing that Frio backed up off a short break, you know, coming off a really sloppy and wet game and played so well against Collingwood. I can't believe that Collingwood went into the game deliberately not selecting Roughhead. He was listed as yeah. omitted, not rested or managed. And Keane just, it was probably unfair on him because he was just one out on Tabata and Frio did well, as Tyson mentioned, to actually isolate him in defence. But it just seemed really unfair that they were picking on this poor Irish bloke. Um, another young kid that I thought was really good for Freo was uh, Mitch Crowden, the man with no neck, who, who played very well. Like Sarong was, yeah. Sarong was doing it all out of the middle and, and Crowden was finishing it up forward. He, he set up a goal uh, to Fife after Moore came off Fife and left Fife alone in the pocket. And Crowden in the last quarter um, bounced off side bottom, spun out of the tackle, went to kick a goal, stopped and actually composed himself and then finished on the on the left foot. And I thought that was a really fantastic sign for him. And Freo absolutely deserved the win. And as I mentioned, we've all said it, it was a fantastic game. And yeah, Collingwood is in some trouble now, but they've got some easy games coming up. So they should hopefully, well, not hopefully for me, but they should hopefully for them be back in the eight soon. Hopefully for our premiership Fancies <laughs> our tips there <laughs> for sure. Now I'd love to get your thoughts, gents, on uh, obviously this footy frenzy, night upon night, game upon game. We're getting double headers. Where I think we're a couple of minutes away from tonight's game starting at the minute. So I'd be interested to see your thoughts on how you feel about it. You know, would you like to see more double headers? Do you like the Sunday night footy schedule with uh, what is it, six o'clock Sunday game? And how are you finding it? Daily games because um, it is it's a lot to take in and you know I woke up this morning and sort of Monday but then I was like oh there's footy tonight you know I had to do my tips on a Sunday night but uh, yeah what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's, well, this is going to be like the first full week of it because obviously mm-hmm. we had last week um, Wednesday uh, into obviously yeah for the next twenty or so days from there so we'll see how we go after this week. I'm a big one for probably, yeah, having it separate, but obviously COVID, it's not really going to happen. I'm a big fan of the uh, the Sunday game uh, at six o'clock. That, that one's really good. You're sort of, you know, about to whip up some dinner or you've had your dinner and you've you got a goal as a game on. And, um, yeah, it sort of, yeah, just signs off the weekend nicely. Um, yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting to have it on um, in the background maybe some nights, but I, doubt, I don't think I'll be watching it every night. Well, I know I won't be because... I just won't be. So, <laughs> uh, what do you yeah. think, guys? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I think obviously it's an interesting thing, and and they've been pumping it up. It's exciting. It's been interesting to see Channel Seven pumping it up so much this footy spectacular when they're not going to be able to show the majority of it on free to air. <laughs> <laughs> they like they're almost saying, "Hey guys, get Fox Footy instead of us." <laughs> I think it it works now where most people are at home. And so they're going to be able to watch it on television anyway. Whereas if they were having to 
to do this every single night, it would be a lot more difficult if people were having to attend all these games, if you, if you know what I mean. Like having to finish work and organise traffic and, and find your way. I, I don't think the crowds would be getting um, as large as they could be if, obviously, we had the, didn't have the restrictions. So you'd say yeah. if this was happening and we didn't have COVID going on, we'd, people would probably be talking about disappointing crowd numbers, I reckon. Um, I don't think you'd be getting as many people to every game. But television yeah. rights, they'd be loving it. Yeah, I must say I quite like the double header. I think that's something that we could uh, incorporate in certain rounds and you know, sometimes it may suit better than others, but I like that. Say on a Friday or a Saturday maybe. Um, do like a Sunday night game. Um, but yeah, obviously it's unique circumstances with the nightly games, but I am finding it... I'm sort of missing that anticipation and sort of really dissecting and looking forward to games. But, you know, before you look at one, the next one's upon you sort of thing. So, I mean, that's that's the world we find ourselves in the minute. So it's never going to pan out like that. But um, I, I would like to see definitely the Sunday night game stay and possibly some double headers. But uh, Langus, you got any wisdom for us on that? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's been a pretty good... Um, the whole idea of the the football frenzy, they're obviously making this fixture on the run and having to squish these games in. We've talked about the good work that Travis Ald has done all year, the fact that they've been managed to uh, fit all these games in. Um, obviously, some of the games this week were, were some blowouts and we obviously want some closer games. I don't think that's going to happen as much with the, the quick turnaround, but I'm certainly all for the Thursday night. I really like the Thursday night. It makes the, yeah. the weekend come quicker, but... Probably not a, a West Australian game because the eight ten starts really kill me, especially on the uh, yeah, yeah. on the um, Saturday night. It was the eight ten Geelong West Coast game. Then I got to get up at five a.m. for work. It's like, do I risk getting yeah, a Geelong nasty. win, or if they lose, yeah. and I've just got four hours sleep and I'm angry because Geelong <laughs> lost as well. So it's a bit annoying. But yeah, the, the Thursday nights are really good around, and the uh, the later Sunday game too, as you mentioned, is the six ten Sunday. That's a good one as well because you can sort of just chill out and. Uh, chill out and watch the footy and, and relax. I feel like sometimes you get home on a Sunday um, and, you know, the games are sort of done at six o'clock and it's like, oh, that's it. All right, I'll just watch a rom-com then. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, Thursday night's really good. Um, double headers on the Friday, uh, like you mentioned, short wouldn't be too bad because it was kind of cool. Carlton and Hawthorne were going in the background while, you know, get some dinner ready and then there's another game on. So don't know if you could, don't know if you do it all the time, but, um, yeah, and the Sunday at 6.10, I reckon, uh, a model along those lines going in the future. How frequent, I don't know, but that seems to at least work for me, and I like it. Personal opinion? Personal opinion. Absolutely. Well, well speaking of personal opinions, as I, again, still took segue form, we'll get into the tips because we've got about 10 minutes left to go in this Zoom uh, recording, which is fantastic. So if any of the listeners want to um, chip in for a Zoom sponsorship, that would be great. Um, <laughs> So we'll get stuck into this game. The, the Port and Bulldogs game has started as we speak. So what are our thoughts <laughs> on the tips for this week? Nothing yet. It is a nil-all draw so far, although Bailey Smith is having a shot as we speak, Daniel. So good for Supercoach. Oh, Supercoach. Right. I'm, I'm going to the dogs on that. <laughs> uh, Port Adelaide at home, I think, um, yeah, the dogs are a bit inconsistent. I could bank Port Adelaide a little bit more, but dogs could surprise as well over there. They have before. Yeah, port for me. I'm, uh, I've lost a bit of faith with the doggies, so let me down. Oh, we're going for the power as well. Just the doggies just not showing up for us. 
I've also got to back the power in as I have been doing all year, except for last week. (laughs) (laughs) Late change on on your coach. Uh, Richmond have Brisbane (laughs) at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Ongoing Richmond here, guys. Uh, Last last 15 wins uh, to the Tigers haven't beaten, haven't lost to the line since 2010, I believe. So um, they have a good record and they're playing really good footy and they're really consistent. Yeah, I'm not the Lions here. I just feel like uh, when are they going to beat them? As you said, insane record the Tigers have over them. But they've got a little bit of history, recent history, and I just feel as if the Lions are a quality side and the Tigers still have a few out, but uh, one of the games of the round. Um, I think Richmond are back in form a bit, but to steal from a... Langers' old school reference. You can't lose 16 in a row, can you? Oh, my you? God. <laughs> I'll, be back in, I'll be back in the Lions for this one, I reckon. They're just, too, they're just the clear top team, in my opinion, still. It's sort of at that stage where we really need Brisbane to win to just, you know, get Richmond to simmer down because if they win this, it's like, oh, my goodness, we've got West Coast and Richmond just right back in the mix. So Brisbane for me and very much hope they win. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. We're tough, no doubt. I don't think Brisbane lost a home-to-way game in Queensland for the last year or so as well. Mm. So, uh, which which hoodoo's going to break first? Oh, man. Geelong. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, neighbours, what's up next? Uh, Geelong, <laughs> North Melbourne. This one's at the Gabba. Uh, I think the Cats too strong in this one. Obviously, very impressive display from North. Um, they have troubled us in the past randomly at times, but I think yeah, Geelong is for that four-goal margin. Um, should be too good. Yeah, so I agree. I think Geelong comfortably. Uh, I'll be back in the Cats as well. So I forgot to mention, how good does Harry Taylor look in the blonde hair oh, now? Mate. <laughs> he what looks, like, going on, looks like Slim Shady's uncle. He's just like a <laughs> Slim Shady. Um, yeah, cat, Cats for me. North just got their tails up last week, door back, yeah. and North have a habit of beating us. So it's not an absolute rot as I think a lot of people will think it will be, but... Geelong have been in good form um, the last couple of weeks, so I expect us to win. Nice one, guys. Adelaide have Melbourne at Adelaide Oval, and um, I don't have the team uh, hard oh, there. I wasn't really going for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was like, I, I've tipped uh, Melbourne to win this game of football. Uh, they obviously had an absolute um, spray. To, to their entire club and their president. And I, I think if you can't respond back from that, I don't know what you can do. And um, Adelaide, they're playing like a BFL twos. If that's even a thing, I'm, I'm making it up. I'm going Melbourne now. Yeah, we didn't really mention much in the reviews, but the Crows were just disgraceful. So I'm going Melbourne. Yeah. I'll be going for the, the Demons as well. I'd be half tempted to tip Adelaide if Gorn was out, but yeah. he's apparently in doubt, and I really do want to wait to see in the teams because they don't really have a second ruck option, and, and Riley O'Brien's a pretty decent ruck. So I reckon this could be the week that uh, the Crows click back into gear, but I'm not brave enough to tip uh, Adelaide, so I'll stay with Melbourne. Yeah, don't pay the tip for Africa, Timberlake, because you get absolutely burned by 69 points. And lose a tip. Uh, Collingwood had Sydney at the, uh, the Gabba. Uh, I think, yeah, the Pies to bounce back. I'm not super confident. Obviously, they've lost a few in a row. Sydney playing some attacking and a good brand of footy. So, um, they tend to go okay against Sydney. I think they'll be a close one, but I think the Pies just. 
Yeah, pies for me. Yeah, I'll go to the pies as well. Let them bounce back. Pies also. Nice. Gold Coast, have St Kilda Metricon. Gold Coast have been a bit out of sorts, but uh, hard to go past the same two. Haven't really set a foot wrong. Pressure and uh, speed is generally too good for opposition. Yeah, I hope I didn't think about this one, to be fair, but I, I have gone with the Saints. They are just looking too impressive at the minute to go against them. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll um, continue on their merry way. Oh, it is a tricky one at home for the Suns as well. Mm. It could be a, a recruitment drive here of a battle between the twin brothers. <laughs> to see yeah. who can the <laughs> over. Um, yeah, I might go... No, I'll stick with the Saints. I was considering a left fielder, but I'll, oh I'll go goodness. the Saints. Yeah, Gold Coast do do play well at Metricon and and they do need. I I really hope they don't just go the rest of the year winless or performing as their their recent projections have been in the in the second half of years. But uh, yeah, Saints for me because they have been fantastic so far. Beauty. Final game of the round. We've got Essendon and GWS. This one's at Metricon as well. Um, I can't trust the Bombers with the way they've been playing. They don't have a lot of key outs to some really key players. And the Giants seem to be flexing their muscle. I know Toby Green's not playing, but uh, I don't think the Bombers are much trouble, unfortunately, guys. Yeah, I really thought about <laughs> the Bombers. I've got no <laughs> idea why. Maybe I just get sucked in with Green being out. But I have gone the Giants. Like you said, Dice, I mean, you just can't trust them. I mean, they were going okay earlier, but... I've won the game for the year, really. Yeah. Surprise. yeah. Giants for me. Uh, yeah, I'll be sticking with the Giants as well. I think they are a good team. They're just they're just not gelling at the moment, and Bombers have just been a bit up and about as well. So I'll stick with the Giants for this one. Uh, Giants for me also. It'd be interesting to see Tyson if if you do tip uh, the other team and Toby Green's out again, and then whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever Green's in or out, you end up tipping the wrong one and they lose regardless. So um, Giants for me because yeah. they have been up and about. And their midfield is absolutely purring now with Tim Taranto back and. Kelly's up and about, and Essendon, I think, are just really injury hit at the moment. So, like I said, I hope they bounce back, but Giants, for me, hopefully they can pull themselves together towards the end of the year. So, uh, to those listening, thank you for for listening to this week's episode. Obviously, we are recording over Zoom, so excuse the audio issues. We will be back next week at some stage. Hopefully, we get to record uh, on the Monday as usual, but we're sort of taking it uh, day by day at the moment as the game sort of comes in from there um, with the Port and Bulldogs game going on currently. Cody Waitman has kicked the first goal, so the dogs are up and about. So mm. interested to watch this game from tonight. So thank you, boys, for joining me tonight. Thanks no worries. Me. It was pretty cool that we are able to splice Shorty's um, recordings into this episode, seeing as he couldn't make this now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just on a, a week-long date, and I don't think he'll ever come back. So. <laughs> I've been abducted. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good thing in Shorty's book. So Yeah, yeah, it's- yeah, let's cut it off there. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone listening. Please make sure you do comment on Facebook or Twitter if you do see us posting or raging about the umpiring in the Geelong West Coast game. Uh, thanks for listening. You'll hear from us next week. See ya. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you follow us on the socials so you don't miss any content. AFL Unlimited, because footy is limitless.